Thanks for tuning in this evening. You're listening to Educate for Life with Kevin Conover. I'm your host down here in Southern California. We're broadcasting on K-Praise, K-Praise 1210 AM, uh, down here in the studios up in UTC, uh, Salem Studios. And uh, we're going to be talking about Roe versus Wade this evening. Uh, we're going to talk about the case that just happened. A huge court case uh, has the potential to actually overturn Roe versus Wade. Incredible opportunity to change history, really, is what's happening here. And um, really to put our country on the track in the right direction. It's ridiculous, honestly, um, that we have had to deal with this for the amount of time that we have had. We're one of only seven countries in the world that allow abortion, have the abortion, support abortion the way we do. Um, and it all has to do with this viability argument that came up a long time ago with Roe versus Wade and is the way that they justified abortion was whether the baby was viable outside of the womb or not as an argument for whether or not abortion was legitimate. And um, with us tonight is Pastor James Cadiz. He's with uh, Calvary Chapel Signal Hill, and uh, he's been studying this quite, uh, quite extensively. He's been in ministry for over 27 years up in uh, the Long Beach, uh, California area, and uh, he's got all kinds of credentials to be talking about this, and he's looked at it from the legal angles also. Pastor James, thanks for being with us this evening. Glad I could be here, Kevin. Thank you so much. It's an honor. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us a little bit about your background legally. Um, I know that your parents are actually from Egypt, so it's really interesting um, that um, you know you've looked at this and you've studied this. Uh, give us your a little bit of your background and then um, your analysis of Roe versus Wade. What happened there? So, uh, boy, that's a that's a very loaded question. So, yeah, you're <laughs> right. My mom and my dad were both born and raised in Egypt. I'm first generation born into this country. Um, and of course, speak the language of my mother and father. Uh, I have a pretty uh, extensive background in understanding that culture, obviously, because I was raised in it. Not that, of course, I believe in any type of moral authority or uh, <laughs> wisdom, for lack of a better term, based on something that's an immutable characteristic. But you understand what I mean, obviously, yeah. understanding the cultures, the background and so on and so forth. Uh, so I was... Um, uh, raised by two very God-fearing parents, parents that just love the Lord. Uh, didn't really completely give my life to the Lord until I was 16 years old. I've been in the ministry now for almost 30 years. I spent uh, the, the first part of my time in ministry uh, at uh, Calvary Chapel Downey. And uh, then, of course, I've spent a longer time now at Calvary Chapel Signal Hill. I'm the founding and senior pastor of that church. Um in the midst of that, I have a pretty extensive background in um, uh, computers. Believe it or not, I, I have a background in technology. Uh, matter of fact, when I started Calvary Chapel Signal Hill, I was the chief information officer of a local municipal police department here in Southern California. So I have a computer forensics background, networking, that kind of thing. Been involved in a lot of projects uh, that you might be familiar with, but we don't have the time to go over. And, um, and then, of course, I, I also do have... Uh, my Bible college degree, and I also have a formal legal education. Uh, never practiced a day in my life, but I decided because the Lord led me to, uh, to go ahead and get a legal education. So um, uh, this type of stuff has always been very interesting to me. Um, I think that when it comes to the Roe case, I, I will just simply tell you, in my opinion, um, uh, first of all, I was shocked that this was a seven to two ruling by the Supreme Court. I can tell you that right now because the case was garbage. Yeah. The case should have never been uh, even given attention to it. Quite frankly, when the case was actually ruled upon, 
uh, I think it's a fair statement to say that the reason why it did not get a lot of noise and the kind of objection that it should have received from the rest of the community is because the very day it came out, and I do think this may have been something that was satanically inspired. I think this was may have been orchestrated by demons. Quite frankly, uh, we saw the death of a U.S. president. So on the very day this case was ruled upon, a U.S. president actually died, not a sitting president, of course. But what's even more interesting than that, and uh, I think what's uh, remarkable, is to see how so many issues came out of the Roe v. Wade case based on another garbage case, which, of course, was Casey versus Planned Parenthood. So um, since then, people seem to think that the outcome of Roe is really the law of the land, when in reality, it's not the law of the land. Now, there are some people that think that, well, it is because of a legal doctrine called stare decisis and the whole idea of uh, legal precedent. Uh, but the what the reality of it is, is if you would analyze the case the way it should be analyzed, I would argue that no real precedent was ever established from the initial case. And I would go further to argue that the fact that the Casey uh, case actually, they say, was the real precedent establishing uh, case is just a complete farce. So um, as we begin to look at this case that's going on right now, which, of course, is a case that I've been very excited about. I was commenting on it from the very day it got filed. Well, probably within a week of the time it got filed because I didn't know the day it got filed. I found out about a week later. Uh, Dobbs versus Jackson's Women Health Organization. Uh, the Attorney General of Mississippi, Mr. Dobbs, filed this case. And um, I got to tell you, it I just from what I can see and from some of the analysis I've been doing in the reading, I can tell you this case is going to overturn Roe. Wow. And it's going to pretty much throw away uh, the Casey case. And I also want to make one other comment, just so everybody understands. Uh, the attorney general of the state of Mississippi is not standing alone in the filing of this case. OK, I want you to understand that. I want you to understand that almost immediately there were, I want to say, initially 19 other states that filed amicus briefs. Now, for those in the audience that might not know what an amicus brief is, it's basically when uh, you have a what we would call an interested party that is not necessarily attached to the case, but somebody whose outcome could be dramatically affected by the uh, by the plaintiff's uh, case actually being passed. And so what's happened is, and, and this is actually quite interesting, is um, there, there were 19 other states that filed amicus briefs basically contending for the position of the Mississippi's uh, attorney general. And I should also make one other case or one other statement, although um, this case was granted cert by the Supreme Court, the Mississippi case. And when we say cert, it's short for certi, meaning the Supreme Court said, we'll hear this case. It was granted cert based on a very specific and very uh, localized uh, context. And it was basically the question on appeal was this phrase, whether all pre-viability prohibitions on elective abortions are unconstitutional. That's the, that is the very limited case, although the vast majority of the new nearly two hours of argument considered not really the fundamental question about the uh, constitutional right of abortion. Rather, uh, they 
argued over uh, stare decisis, uh, which is, is this a precedent setting case, which is kind of interesting. It, typically, when the court, the Supreme Court grants a particular case cert, they develop the scope for what they're going to argue. And this has been so unusual in that they have been discussing it outside of the scope that they said that they would, uh, which is signaling to us that probably six of these um, nine Supreme Court justices are going to rule in favor, maybe actually seven, maybe seven are going to rule in favor of uh, the person who's filing the case, which of course is the state of Mississippi. So it's very interesting to see what's going on. And I know that's an earful. Yeah, uh, that was- <laughs> I, just thought I, I thought I'd just get it out there all right now. So everybody kind of, you know, sort of follows through here. <laughs> Yeah, there was a lot of information there. A lot of things I'm really curious about what you what you said. You know, you said um, Roe versus Wade is not necessarily the law of the land. And, um, you know, that's news, I think, to a lot of people. Uh, I was reading up on this. Uh, Ten states currently have bans on abortion during the first trimester. Um, but but the argument is, well, these laws can't be enacted because of Roe versus Wade. And right. uh, of course, if you got rid of Roe versus Wade, then the power goes back to the states. So my question, uh, first question is, is how is Roe versus Wade not the law of the land? And if it isn't the law of the land, then why are these states not able to hold up the bans that they've already uh, uh, initiated? Yeah, so this is a good question, okay? I think really the best thing to do is to kind of go over the facts, right? So when the uh, Roe versus Wade case got filed, and of course, um, I don't know if if anybody knows this, but um, when you use those names, those are actually fictional names. Those aren't the real names that were put in in the case, but because of the nature of the controversy, Um, they were there to protect the identity of the plaintiff, considering how unpopular abortion was in 1970, right? So this is uh, kind of an interesting thing. And of course, this is, uh, of course, Henry Wade's name is is the real name, right? Uh, It's kind of an interesting thing. But he was the district attorney of Dallas County, Texas. Um, And what's interesting about the case was the case was filed in essence to uh, deal with a particular one very particular or limiting scope, right? Um, and, and I have a note here, and I think this is probably the best way of putting it, but basically um, this was a, a, a challenge to a Texas law that made abortion illegal except by a doctor's orders to save a woman's life, right? So Texas had this law for a long time. Hey, you can't abort a baby unless uh, aborting the baby is the necessary component in order to save a mother's life in birth, which, by the way, here's the funny uh, statistic on that 0.003 of 1% mm-hmm. doesn't require uh, that the life of the baby uh, be terminated. And in virtually all of those cases, probably 95% of those cases, uh, the baby has already died. So it's kind of an interesting uh, situation. So, um, Of course, uh, she stipulated in this lawsuit uh, that they were unconstitutionally vague and that they abridged her right of personal privacy, right? Mm. So this was a personal privacy case. And she claimed, of course, that this was protected by the first, the fourth, the fifth, the ninth, and the 14th amendment. Now, I can just tell you this right now. I don't know where any such reasonable expectation of privacy is actually guaranteed in any of those amendments. Now, I understand the the amendments that relate to the issuance of warrants and entering to the home of somebody. I get that. But when we're talking about um, the right to privacy, you have a question fundamentally about the constitutionality of that statement, number one. And then you have another question that you have to ask yourself, and that's this. 
assuming that there is a right to privacy per se. Let's just say that, right? Let's just say the Constitution guarantees a right to privacy. It does not at all ever guarantee the right of a woman to murder her baby. Hmm. Yeah, you can't just do what you want in the privacy of your own home. It doesn't, <laughs> even correct. if that was the case, it doesn't That's mean you can, you can abuse a child in, in the privacy of your own home, regardless right. if you have a, you, you only have a pri- right to privacy within limits, uh, you know, whether, whether between you and your doctor, or whatever the case might be. Correct. And the argument that was made was uh, very poorly uh, put, number one. Uh, and then number two, understand that when the case was actually ruled upon in favor of Roe, you have to understand that all that did was basically said that the Texas case specifically related to her situation or the Texas law specifically related to her situation was unconstitutional. And the reality of it was, is that it was not. So so to give you the idea here is that the overruling of any laws stipulated as such was almost impossible to do. Case in point, you said, there are many states that actually uh, virtually restrict abortion, period, right? And so um, again, it wasn't the law of the land. Now, in order to make it the law of the land and claim that it was a constitutional right, you would have to have an overwhelming, actually, I think it's a majority rule. It would have to be, matter of fact, I think I'd have to go back and look, it would have to be unanimous in order to be able to create the uh, condition necessary to change or make a constitutional amendment, except for one major problem. Even if you claimed you could make that constitutional amendment, and this is a very important thing to also keep in mind, that constitutional amendment would never be able to work because you can't make a constitutional amendment that actually throws away the fundamental amendments Uh, specifically as they relate to certain rights being afforded to a person, right? For example, um, we know uh, the right to free speech, uh, those types of things, uh, the right to defend yourself, uh, you know, the Second Amendment. There's different things like that that would actually encroach upon what would happen because then the argument has to be made, is the baby a citizen, you know, in other words, this is why they're talking about viability here. If yeah. the baby that is in the womb is a citizen, well, then that citizen is due the rights uh, afforded to them with respect to protection by government. And the government should not be allowed to make a law that does this. That's why the hard left in this country has gone out of their way to continue to uh, uh, uphold the legal doctrine of stare decisis as it relates to the Casey case and the Roe case, because what they're in essence trying to do is they're trying to gaslight, for lack of a better term, in being able to say it's the law of the land because of the stipulation of the seven judges that ruled in the Supreme Court case with respect to Roe. Um, And then they think they've got that all won because they say Casey versus Planned Parenthood is a case that in essence cemented that. Well, all it did was cement garbage. Uh, Mm -hmm. into play, right? That's all it did. It didn't really do anything other than simply prove the point that if we allow it to stand on its own ugly feet, that it's going to fall. Yeah. And this, this, um, I was reading the ACLJ has been really involved in all this also. And um, as you know, and um, just quoting uh, from uh, one of the articles written here, it says central to the unjust mistaken ruling in Roe 
was the question of viability. In that decision, if an unborn child was considered viable outside the womb, an abortion ban could potentially be considered constitutionally sound. This half measure offered by Justice Blackmun, which prohibited nearly any restrictions on abortions executed prior to the vaguely defined point of viability, was always misguided and wholly ignorant of a fundamental truth that human life begins at conception with no exception. Can you talk a little bit more about what it means for our listeners um, to what the whole point of viability outside of the womb and, and what the problem with that is? Um, what are your thoughts on that? So this is very, uh, we don't have the time to talk about it at length the way uh, we could, because I could literally spend five hours talking about this very issue. Yeah. Uh, the discussion of viability, which by the way, the reason why Blackman is being mentioned is because he is the judge that actually wrote the opinion representing the majority, okay? Um, and um, basically the discussion uh, was actually, in my opinion, I think it was uh, insane, right? I think some yeah. of the things that were actually written um, were were pretty crazy, right? So a lot of it was a discussion around the due plot, the due process clause of the Fourteenth Amendment, um, which they say protects uh, the the any action by the state that would violate the right to privacy. Okay. So again, we're, we're, we're limiting very much the scope of where this reaches and they're talking a lot about this. And then they say, well, therefore a baby uh, should be able to uh, uh, be aborted by their mother because of her privacy rights. And it's actually quite sad that that's the case, but it's, it's, it's kind of, I mean, it's been the satanic lie that's existed for so long, and none of it has actually made any kind of sense. Uh, probably a better way to put this is they they talked about um, the uh, although the state has this is what uh, the the presiding judge actually said, Judge Blackburn, in his opinion, he basically said that um, when it re as it refers to this due process clause, he actually said the due process clause of the 14th Amendment protects against state action uh, to the right of privacy and a woman's right to choose to have an abortion falls within that right to privacy, which is a, a completely messed up thing to say. I don't agree with that uh, one bit. He goes on to say that although the state has legitimate interests in protecting the health of uh, pregnant women and the potentiality of human life, the relative weight of each of these interests varies over the course of the pregnancy and the law must account for this variability. So in essence, in essence what he's saying is if I have a baby right now in my womb and I am two weeks pregnant, then my interests, my desires as a mother far outweighs the rights of this baby or this baby's interest because this baby is not technically viable. Now, uh, that argument was faulty from the very beginning, mm. uh, substantially faulty, and didn't require science to be able to disprove that. Right now, viability shouldn't even be a discussion because, I mean, we have surgeons that are doing uh, in neural surgeries. I mean, they're, they're operating on fetuses while those fetuses, that's what they call them, fetuses, those babies, while they're inside the, the womb of their, of their mother. And they're doing it very, very early on, three months into pregnancy in some cases. So um, it, it's, it's, it's a very faulty way of thinking. And when you talk about the potentiality of human life, those are made up terms, right? Mm, those are, yeah, those yeah, are activist yeah. terms. What do you mean the potentiality of human life? If a woman carries the baby to term, uh, then the baby's 
dependence upon the mother, the relationship of dependence uh, with the mother changes, but it's still the same thing. Think about it like this, okay? When a baby is in the mother's womb, the baby gets everything it needs based on the actions of the mother, right? The mother eats, she nourishes herself, she takes care of her body. The baby is in essence being fed, the baby is growing, the baby's in a protected environment as she's in the womb of her mother, um, all of that goes. But then when the mother has the baby, nothing changes. The dependency that the baby has upon her mother is not, I mean, it becomes far more significant than it did when that baby was in the mother's womb. The, mm -hmm. the, the point is, is the, the viability of the baby has always been the same. The difference is, is that when the baby is born, the baby becomes more dependent, not less dependent upon the mother, more dependent. Uh, because if you were to walk away from a baby, once you gave birth to the baby, the baby's dead. So, so the reality of it is, is the argument based on viability or uh, potentiality, as he would state, potentiality of life. I actually think that uh, that was it. Just, I think it was just a demonic. Uh, yeah, and that's phrase, and that's the crux of the issue, isn't it? That the yeah, crux, of the, the crux of the issue really here is, is the whole viability argument, and and really the the argument is whether the significance of the baby being a human life is more important at conception than it is whether the baby is viable or not. And the, vi the viability issue was really just a smokescreen to try to get away with being able to get rid of something you don't want, get, get rid of a baby that you don't want, um, because that was grasping for straws or looking for some sort of angle to be able to say, hey, this is not really, like you were saying, a, a full human. This is a potential human, not a yeah. full, full human, because it's only so many weeks or whatever the case. Well, and they contradict themselves substantially because what came out of that case was the understanding or the idea that in the third trimester, once the fetus reaches the point of what they call viability, and by the way, viability is determined on what they were able to see and identify based on the imaging available to them at that time. Right. Mm. So I can think about it like this. I can. And by the way, that was also loosely defined because they there are some people who do not look at it that way. And they say that the precedent that is set in the case relates all about all to the mother's right to privacy and that it's nobody's business and thus she should be able to kill her baby. Yet, yes. if I am in any state of the union, any state at all, and I assault a pregnant woman who intended to carry her baby or didn't intend to carry her baby, let's say that she planned an abortion three weeks later and, um, and I assaulted her three weeks before she had the abortion and the baby died, I would be sentenced to murder. For murder, yeah. I would be yeah. sentenced to death in some cases. Yeah. Right? So and it's completely uh, it's completely hypocritical and contradictory. Uh, the laws are really to the point where uh, somebody is just manipulating things to get what they want. It's not really right. about objective fact. Um, I was reading this also. It's we are one of seven countries that allow abortions after 20 weeks in Europe. The European Court of Human Rights actually recognizes the life of the baby as a competing interest. They actually require that you balance that you balance the baby's life with the choices of the mother. And this is, I'm quoting here, and we don't do that in the United States. In fact, they were arguing basically the rights of the mother just absolutely trump the rights of the baby. And yeah. uh, it's a shame to me that um, here we are, a country that to a large degree um, has embraced uh, Christianity and, and God and the Bible, although we've, we've pushed that away. Um, you know, we've been pushing it away, but 
But the fact of the matter is, is that how is it possible that out of all the countries in the world, uh, we are included with China and uh, countries that have literally no human rights because they're atheistic. And yet here we are allowing this to go on. It's, it's stunning. Well, and it's amazing to me because when the discussion becomes about the imposition of the rights of the woman, it's a complete diversionary tactic to the real issue that they should have been discussing from the very beginning, right? Because when you talk about rights, what are you talking about? Are you talking about the right to be able to dispose of your child because of the fact that you're being inconvenienced? That doesn't matter. That that See, those are the issues that they're completely ignoring for the sake of being able to develop the so-called right to destroy a baby's life, irregardless of what their actual viability might actually be. So, um, and by the way, I, I, I think it should be understood here. Uh, anybody who understood medical science, even back then during the time of Roe, would understand this simple principle. Viability shouldn't even be a question. If it was a question, then why are we practicing in vitro fertilization? Yeah. Why are we we're viewing those things as we're treating sperm, we're treating eggs, we're, we're looking at this, we're looking at it as though it's human life because it is mm -hmm, mm -hmm, conception mm -hmm. when you the definition of human life is at conception. Right. And of course, we know the biblical definition of human life uh, even transcends that the definition of human life, according to the Bible, is God in his own heart who actually before. Uh, we were in our mother's womb. He put us here, right? So this is a, this is a very different uh, situation. And of course, what they call the law of the land never was the law of the land, but based on uh, these uh, legal doctrines that have been very misused, uh, they've always pretty much said that according to the federal standard, um, if you're in the first trimester of pregnancy, a state is not allowed to regulate whether or not abortion can happen. They have some right as it gets into the second trimester, uh, but a lot of that is they're working very hard to remove that. And uh, and they're basically saying that it's still up to the states in the third trimester, but they're changing the definition of what the third trimester is. That's why we're getting all of this uh, um, really ugly uh, laws that are coming forth uh, with respect to um, uh, partial birth abortion and actually post-birth uh, post abortion, which Ooh. is disgusting. That's crazy. That's that's scary stuff. Yeah, I, I was just reading recently, too, that uh, Gavin Newsom uh, recently came out arguing that um, he's going to try to make it easier for people to come to California in order to have abortions in California for in cases like this, where if the Supreme Court does overturn uh, Roe versus Wade and it's pushed back to the states, that there are going to be some states that still allow abortion and there's going to be other states that don't. And uh, he wants to make it easier to try to allow more abortions here in California. Yeah, because he's a stone cold killer. And yeah. we've always known that um, he is truly a, an evil man. Uh, yeah, he's, he a, he's a guy that absolutely has no right to be able to stand as the governor. He doesn't believe in the very words he preaches. He's part of the ruling class that continues to create all kinds of laws and stipulations. Hey, you put on the mask, but I won't, uh, you know, all of these types of things. And then the go on is he's a full blown dishonest liar. And I would be, I've stood 10 feet away from him. I've preached the gospel in front of him at law enforcement memorials. And, and I will tell you this right now, he's a very dark man. You can look inside 
uh, through, you could just sense the darkness in his soul. And the reality of it is, is he's doing it because he just wants to continue to be able to enjoy the comforts of what the ruling class enjoys in this country. But he has no regard for the law, never has had a regard for the law. And I think eventually what is going to happen is Californians are going to get really sick of it. And, um, you know, I thought for sure he was going to be recalled in this recall election. But yeah. forgive me for saying this. I know I'm going to get myself in trouble by some people for saying this, but I don't blame anybody except the pastors of these churches, these cowardly, spineless pastors that continue to give into the woke industrial complex where they're more concerned about the rights of somebody that even the people who make the arguments for are not really concerned about, right? They make up all of these laws. They make up these lies about police officers that are completely not true. Um, and, and people are just believing it. And yet these cowards who will not open up their churches while all of this stuff was going on, these same cowards will go ahead and march for George Floyd with a bunch of other people. And now these same cowards are asking people to repent because they're white. Now, my mom and my dad were both born and raised in an African country. That is Egypt. Now, some people mm -hmm. call it Middle Eastern, but it's an African country. Not that I'm seeking to uh, indulge myself in the doctrine of intersectionality or critical race theory and say that my moral authority is based on an immutable characteristic, but I am simply saying saying as a person whose mother and father immigrated from Egypt into the greatest country into the world, the greatest country in the world, this is the most hardcore racism I have ever seen. And I hate to say it, but the pastors who are standing from the pulpit and are not calling out what they should be calling out, they're the ones that have the blood on their hands, and they're the ones that should be educating their churches as into what the truth is. And that's the reality of everything that we face. And when we come and we talk about these things, if we were vocal about this, let's just talk about this. The biggest issue that we are dealing with right now is not the fact that law enforcement officers are hunting down black people. That's a complete lie. When you mm. look at the stats from last year, let me just explain this to you. And this is very, very important. Law enforcement officers last year made contact with 380, 385 million times they made contact with citizens in this country. Of the 385 million times, there was a thousand officer-involved shootings. Of the thousand officer-involved shootings, there were somewhere in the neighborhood of, I want to say, 40 deaths, right? And we're talking about, of that, we're talking about unarmed, right? Of the 40, yeah. think about this for a second, of the 40 that uh, involved those deaths from people that were supposedly unarmed, think about this for a second, nine were black, 19 were white. So nine were black. And of the nine that were black, six of them attempted to go for the weapon of the police officer. And three of those six were caught, literally, literally caught on tape. So don't you dare in the name of anybody say that, A, we have a racist problem in this country. No, we actually have a serious, serious civil rights problem. I promise you, the greatest civil rights problem of our time right now is the fact that 3% this is not a lie. 3% of the childbearing population in this country, 3% are black women. And yet they account for 50% of the babies that are dying through abortion. If wow. you want to fight for civil rights and the civil rights of black people, why don't you fight for the 1500 babies that are being killed every single day? And no matter what you say, that's the reality of it. That's the yeah. reality. And that's a genocide. So, I mean, that's yeah. a genocide right there. And we need to wake up. Yeah, that's from the devil. 
I mean, it's a it's a mastermind. The devil has mastermind this whole thing and basically just uh, trick people into, you know, it's like going to the doctor when you've got a broken leg and then the, the doctor trying to fix your arm or something. You've got totally the wrong, they're, they're, they've got the wrong diagnosis here. They're, they're pursuing the wrong thing and nothing's going to get fixed if we keep focusing on the wrong things. It's awful. Uh, but, but, uh, God's working, God's doing things. I can tell, um, we, our, our private school has went from a thousand to 1600 in the past year and a half, simply because of the amount of families that are like, get me out of these public schools, which are teaching all this garbage. And so, um, we just got to expand these, these opportunities for families to get their kids in a, in a God fearing, uh, environment where they can really learn about the Lord and biblical worldview. So, uh, but, but, um, it's, you know, we need pastors like you and, and others who are standing up and, and, uh, shouting it out loud and not afraid to, to take some of the heat. So that's awesome. Yeah. And I think it's important because if we really care about the people that we minister to, and we care about the people we love, then we're going to stand up for the truth. And the bottom line is, is, uh, right now we are seeing a massive lie being propagated all over uh, the world and people are believing it. They are believing in this lie. They are believing the mechanism of globalism that is driving this, uh, uh, the direction of this nation. They are believing in the lies of the Biden regime. They believe in the fact that, hey, well, I'm a Democrat, which basically means, and sorry, if people think I'm getting too political, I'm not. I'm just simply speaking the truth. And politics always emanate from the pulpit. It's the pulpits of this country that actually determine where politics go. And the reality of it is, if you really want to fight for civil rights and you want to fight against racism, well, then you should run away from the most racist party in the world. And that's the Democratic Party. Understand this. Understand, if you go right now and you type in the word Antifa into your web browser, It'll take you straight to the White House. Wow. So when we, when, oh, do it, do it. You could do it right in front of me. You'll be blown away if you do it. As a matter of fact, honestly, when you begin to go into it, understand the KKK was the enforcement arm mm. of the Democratic Party. When the Republican yeah. Party was started, it was started as an anti-abolitionist movement. Mm-hmm. It was started to end slavery. Not that I'm defending the Republicans because there's a lot of clowns in the Republican Party sure. that are doing a lot of evils <laughs> and yeah. actually need to get uh, repudiated from their position. But my point is this. My point is we need more people that will stand up for truth. We need more people that will say this is the way it is. Our church has been open from the very beginning, and um, we've basically made it clear we're not going to allow a virus to cause us to be fearful of what's gone on. I just recently, uh, and not that I don't mind, I don't mind saying this, but I just recently uh, had this mess. And I don't know if we're on other social media, so I have to be careful, uh, you know, cause I don't want to get you ripped off of your social media site, <laughs> but um, I'm doing just fine. I'm the guy that has every comorbidity that they say you can have. And by God's grace, um, I got treatment that they say doesn't work, right? And I refuse to be vaccinated. I'll just leave that alone, right? I'm just, I'm just saying that, right? But yeah. the bottom line is this. The bottom line is um, there's a lot of lying going on right now. There's a yeah. lot of people not telling the truth. Yeah. Well, man, I, I mean, I, I appreciate so much what you're doing. And um, it's funny because I've had so many different guests on that, that um, agree with you and that are so passionate. Mason Weaver I had on just recently. I don't know if you know him. He's a former Black Panther, a former Democrat. And he just comes out and says exactly what you just said. He says uh, the pastors are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. He says it's a it's all a total lie. 
and he is hardcore, like just slamming the Democrat Party, um, his books like that. And just so that message is I think that and, and I asked him, I said, hey, is this is this making a difference? Are we making a difference here? And and he said, absolutely. People are changing their minds. And so I think, um, you know, the more we speak up, God works, God moves. And um, and uh, we just have to keep spreading that message. We keep have to keep spreading the word. So. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And there's a lot of darkness out there and we need to shed the light. And I think uh, these men that are running around to people of color that are pastors and they're saying, please, we want to hear you. We want to know what you have to say. They need to shut their mouths for a moment. They need to repent from what they're doing and they need to go to the Holy Spirit and say, we need you right now. I want to hear what you have to say. How do you Mm -hmm. want me to run this thing? Because we are surrounded by deeply dark people who have no desire or care to want to do the right thing. And we need to call them out for what they actually are. And people that are even being called heroes are people that belong in federal prison, like the great doctor, if you know what I mean. I mean, the, the whole point is, yep. you know, I'm talking about, <laughs> yeah, I know you're talking about Dr. <laughs> good Fauci. old Anthony. That's yep. right. He's a, he's a deeply dark, demonically inspired person. And we need to call it for what it is. And I think that if the, if the pastors were willing to stand up for truth and speak about these things and encourage the body of Christ, not only would the body of Christ be growing locally in their churches, but you would stand, you would watch their the, the standing that's going on for liberty change the culture. Yeah. You would. You yeah. would. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, thanks so much, uh, Pastor James. Uh, uh, if you just tuned in, uh, Pastor James Cadiz is my guest this evening. And um, He's up at uh, Calvary Chapel Signal Point. If you're in Long Beach, please go down and check it out. And um, he's all over the world, too. I'm sorry, Signal Hill. Sorry about that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, And uh, he's also all over the world um, on the radio So uh, and all over YouTube. So uh, please uh, stay informed. Uh, You need to listen to people that know what they're talking about and and know how to argue against um, what the devil's setting up, right? We're meant to demolish arguments that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. And that's our goal. So... Um, you can check out my my website, educateforlife.org. We got all kinds of resources on there for you. And we also will be back uh, next week with Tim Chaffee. We'll be talking about a lot of the same issues that we're dealing with here. Um, this is really what, what we need to be talking about and really get informed about. So come back next week, educateforlife.org again is my website. And uh, Pastor James, thank you so much for coming on the air. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much. God bless you, bro. And keep fighting the good fight. Amen. Okay. Have a great night.